You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. That being said, I'm going to read uh, for us from Philippians chapter 3, and then I will lead us in a word of prayer. That's okay. Um, Beginning at verse 1, Philippians 3, and I have the ESV version. Um, so you can join me in your Bibles, power up your devices, or quote it from uh, your memory if you're really spiritual. Um, it reads, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. God had a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you bow for a word of prayer? Our sovereign and our great God, Lord, we bow in your presence today. I pray for power, clarity, and conviction. I pray that you would give us hearts, eyes, and ears to perceive the wonders in your word. Um, Lord, I don't know who is here and where we've come from, but I do know, Lord, we are in great need of grace. We are in great need of comfort. I pray for those who are suffering. I pray for those who just need wisdom, Lord. I pray for Pastor Matt, and I thank you for the testimony of his father. I pray that you would give he and his family everything that they need with full assurance that you are working, that this is not outside of your grasp, but you are a king who rules over everything, every moment, every second. So help us to rejoice in how you choose to be sovereign. Work it out, Lord, according to your will, I pray. Love someone, please, with my words. Amen. Amen. I'm going to grab my water here. This is cool because you got like a pulpit that has water. We have a table, so it's like really high, and so you got to take your Bible and walk around, but this is so awesome. So the title of the message today is Redeemed to Rejoice. And, um, I was talking to my daughter, and I got an idea to introduce this today. There's a show that I used to love for years. You may have heard of it. It was called Kitchen Nightmares. It starred a chef called Gordon Ramsay. Some of you have heard of him. You've seen some of the shows, but Kitchen Nightmares was my favorite because uh, for about seven years, this show came on where they would profile a restaurant or some type of eatery or bakery, and, and the place was just a mess. 
and, and Gordon would come and he would order some food and he would try it out and the food would be horrible and he would spit it out and he would look at the windows and they were dirty and the, the fans had dust and stuff that was hanging from it. And, and so he would come and, and they would go through the introduction and how bad this place was. And then if the people who owned the restaurant were willing, willing to submit to his help, he would come and he would just transform the whole place. Like he would come, he would yell at people, he would make them feel bad, he'd call them stupid, and then he'd just be like, look, I believe in you. And he would say it in a cool British accent I can't imitate. Um, and, and he would do all these amazing things, and the businesses would turn around, and by the end of it, people are like, we're so happy that he came. Knife will never be the same. This restaurant was my dream, and now I'm saved from bankruptcy. I'm saved from shutting down. And then Gordon would move on the next week to somebody else's messed up restaurant. And I was shocked when I looked into it and I found out that most places that received help from Gordon Ramsay are now closed. And so they said because even though he would come in and the show would spend money and they would redecorate, they would change the menu, he would provide them a, a, a full simplicity on how to do life wherever they were, the problem was they would fall back into their old habits and their old thinking and their old mentality. And because of that, they lost on the joy of having new management. And I say, how often that is a picture of how Christians are in the church of God. We get saved. Jesus saves us from a lot of stuff. I don't know about you. I was 16 when I got saved, and it was amazing to me because I did not believe I would make it to 18. I would not go to church, so I didn't get saved at church. It was a place called Teen Haven that kind of comes and gets at-risk kids in Philly, and they took us to the mountains. I don't even know where it was. And, and I'm up there, and this is my first time, like, hanging out with white people, and, and this is just this big culture shock, and I'm just saying, I'm just going to chill and be quiet the whole time, and this man starts preaching. And I mean preaching, preaching, like Billy Graham preaching. I never heard preaching like this in my life. You know, I get saved, and I realize, you know, I'm a sinner. You know, even though I have so much going on in my neighborhood um, and in terms of violence and drugs, and I'm like, you know what? What Jesus has to offer is so much bigger and better than anything I'm facing in this life. And there was nothing but this amazing joy, right? You know how you get saved? And it's like, you don't even know the Bible well. You know John 3.16, two verses of Psalm 23, and you're just like, God is so good. And that joy comes in, and eventually you get to doing the ministries and different tasks every Sunday, and you live, and, and, and it comes, becomes hard to hold track of that joy. And eventually you can go through the motions where you're serving and don't have joy. You can get to the place where you're married and don't have joy. Where you're praying, singing, clapping, lifting hands, and don't feel joy. It is so easy to go through the motions as a Christian. And here's the danger. There's a looming danger over all of us. Because externally and internally, every day of your life, there is an impeachment hearing against God going on in your soul. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are conspiring to prove to you that God is not good, Jesus doesn't care, and you are a good person. That is the worst lie the enemy will ever try to get you to believe. That God is not sufficient, you are good, and you can handle whatever's going on. And that wherever God is taking you, you know, you just got to follow your heart. That's what the culture is telling us right now. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. I'm in a church in which almost everyone attending our church, which some Sundays can be 20 or 30, other Sundays can be five, but those who've been consistent, almost all except for maybe two, have been affected by violence this year. In the last three months, almost everyone has lost at least one family member to the same drug war. Because there is a drug war going on in North Philadelphia between four blocks apart on 10th Street. 
and God has worked in his grace and brought people together in the same church who family members are trying to kill each other. And God, by his grace, is saving people and moving them together. That it's a testimony, but at the same time, we're, we're trying to teach and we're trying to show them and get them to see that the same joy that moves in when you get saved is what sustains you when the world feels like it's falling apart under your feet. When you're wondering, who's going to be next? What's the next phone call I'm going to get? We just got a phone call on the way here that someone else passed. And all I could think was, yes, he was young and he was 40, but at least he didn't get killed. And so I want to say to you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your church, you have to fight for joy. A joyless Christian is a weak Christian. A joyless Christian is a divisive Christian. A joyless Christian is a complaining Christian. And too often, a joyless Christian is an absent Christian. I want to encourage you to fight hard. When the, when the tolls and taxes of this life come to bear on everyone's soul, because you will suffer. You need to learn how to press deep and pull on the joy that Jesus gives. Jesus is a fountain, not just the Savior who brings you from the world into Christ, into the body of Christ. He is the river that puts you on a life support of joy and calls you to rejoice. Why? Because he is worth it, because he is working, he is still saving, and he is sanctifying you. I teach you guys how to say Amen. I come from a Baptist church, so we're going to get this say. My people don't get it either, because a lot of them didn't go up in church, neither did I. But amen, it's very helpful to the preacher. And so we're just going to practice this. Amen? amen? There we go. Okay, see, I'm trying to help you, so by the time you hire that pastor, he won't leave, because he's going to love when you say amen. I don't know if that's true, but let's play like it. And so here's the big idea that we're working with today. The big idea today is this. Because Christ has suffered, has secured righteousness from God for the redeemed, we must rejoice in him alone. Say that again. Jesus has secured for every Christian righteousness from God. Therefore, we must rejoice in him alone. To rejoice in him alone means to make him the center, the barometer, the source of pleasure, the source of direction, the source of sustainment and sufficiency alone. Meaning everything else when it comes to Jesus makes it look like you just hate it, according to the Bible. That Jesus is so central, watch this, that it's not just an intellectual truth you believe in and assent to, but it is the life support of your heart. God cares about your pleasure. God cares about you being satisfied in him. And so I would say we must rejoice in him alone. The question is big. How do we rejoice in Jesus in a way that matters on Monday morning? How do we rejoice when we're dealing with sick parents and, and gun violence in an election that from all I can see is just going crazy before it even gets started? Um, how do we do that? So I want to lift up Jesus as a diamond to you and give you these three points, and I think it it might be on your uh, card. I know at Christ in the church, put it on the card. Point one. Number one, we must rejoice in the work of Christ. Number two, we must rejoice in the worth of Christ. And point three, we must rejoice in the witness of Christ. In our text, you see in verse one, Paul is, is writing to Philippians. And if you know about the church in Philippi, Paul is in prison when he's writing, and this is his most joyful, rejoicing letter. Uh, Paul, just by his life alone, shows us that it's possible to have joy and to celebrate Jesus no matter what you're going through. He, he, he has been writing, and he says in verse 1, finally, my brothers. Now, he's saying finally, but the half, other half of the book is still to come. He's got a lot more to say. He says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you. But then in verse 2, he says, 
Look out for those dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what, what Paul is trying to do here in this argument, he's been talking about joy for the whole book. He's talking about Christ as center for the whole book. But now he begins to use strong words because his fear is, while there is joy on the inside now, there is always going to be something or someone on the outside to try to take you from that joy. Spiritual warfare is the protection of your joy in Jesus Christ. It is not praying super loud prayers and, you know, when, when you think you're really spiritual and you say Jesus with the extra, and, and you're trying to feel like you're praying. Spiritual warfare is when you're doing everything in the world possible to guard the joy of you, your family, and your spouse in Jesus. Because if you lose that joy, you will wreck your life. Warfare is, is where we try to guard our church and others from every influence that, that would take us away from Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. When he says, look out for the dogs, he's using aggressive language against false teachers who were called Judaizers. These, these were people who had a really fringe idea of the gospel. And, and, and basically what they were missing is this. If you know your Bible, you know in Genesis, we're introduced to a man named Abram, whom later God changes his name to Abraham. And God says to Abram, I want you to get out and I want you to leave your homeland and your family and I'm going to take you somewhere else and I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make sure that the world is going to be blessed through you. I'm going to give you a promised child. Um, that's going to happen later on. God's going to work some amazing things out in his body. And, and he says, through you, the nations will be blessed. How do we know? Because Jesus would come from Abraham. And, and we're all, you ever sing the song of EBS, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and you are too. And, and the rest I'm not going to sing. But, but that was the plan that God had, that through Abraham's seed, the nations would be blessed. And the first step of that plan was something called the Mosaic Covenant or the Mosaic Law. God would take Israel into Egypt. They would be there 400 years as slaves. He would set them free and bring them out to come to the promised land. And then he would give them the law. And, and, and what the Judaizers didn't see is that the law that was given through Moses was step one to show them they needed a savior, not the guidebook to make them into saviors. Too often we come to Christ and we get the Bible and we read it and what we do is we, 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 we turn it into a roadmap for success, a roadmap for business and give me my do's and don'ts and what should I do and we miss out on the fact that if you read the Bible correctly, you're going to learn you're messed up. You're broken and so am I. If you read the Bible, there are no heroes in the Bible and I don't know what you do for children's ministry but I came from a church where we like celebrate everything in this really weird way and I won't go into it but you got like the coloring sheets and you're coloring about Noah and you see all the animals and stuff and I'm like but in reality dude like that was bad like people died like, like Noah's on a boat and he's in here for a long time and I would get claustrophobic and outside like stuff is floating and people are dead and animals are dead like it's crazy and then he gets off and the first thing he wants to do is like I need some liquor and then he goes and gets drunk and all kind of stuff happens in his family I mean did you read the book. I read it twice. Some of you did. Just say amen. But, but you see all this crazy stuff. And then there's Abraham and God's like, look, I'm going to do stuff for you. Like he's having a conversation with God, but he's doubting God. And his wife is laughing at God. And God's like, I'm going to give you a son. And his wife is like, I got a plan. We've got a maid. You need to hook up with her. And I'm like, dude, this is like something from Bravo Network, but it's in the Bible. Right? You would think, right? Because the Bible is so real because it's trying to show you there's no difference between you and Abraham, but faith. That it's the same God, same sin nature that you have just like him. And the only difference is, is God your savior or is he just a spectator to your sin? Right? And, and, and so what the Judaizers were saying is that Mosaic covenant is how we get saved. They said you can preach the gospel, but you need to do some stuff to be right with God. 
And, and, and so Paul says anyone who is in that category is a dog. They are an evildoer. They mutilate the flesh. We live, in a, we live in a culture full of dogs. We plant churches because Philly and the surrounding neighborhoods are full of dogs. And we need to preach the gospel to dislodge the hold of dogs in our culture. I'm thankful for what I hear about Kanye West. But as you see, he is circled with dogs now. Because they know if you can get a hold of the person who has a mouthpiece for Jesus and is going to represent Jesus, you can get your message to go through them. It'll contaminate Jesus, but it'll exalt the man. And we've got to get our churches to a place where we stop exalting people and we stop the celebrity culture and we start exalting Jesus. But that can't happen until we identify the dog type nature. My concern is that in the church, we don't have many dogs, but we got some canine tendencies in the church where we start to add to the gospel and try to find ways to try to make people over in our image. And so they come to community group and we try to teach them, you're single, so you better be married. You better be married like this. You have kids, you need to be like this. And so what we do is we create a type of cultural Christianity that is no more than a rule book that we add to the gospel. And so what Paul is saying, when you go to verse 3, let me tell you how he's trying to get you to look at this. He's saying, look out for the dog type stuff, but look in at who and what Jesus Christ has made you. Look at verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If you have your own Bible, you should underscore that and list out what the Bible says about you. Specifically, it is saying, he is exhorting, this is what we should be worshiping and rejoicing in Jesus for. By Jesus' own work, we don't have to get circumcised because we are the circumcision. God had told Abraham the sign of the covenant was going to be, you know, you, you circumcise your son. And, and, and there was a certain message and meaning to that. And now in the New Testament, Jesus says, watch this, we are the circumcision. People, by obeying the law, are trying to become what God has made us. Therefore, anytime I seek to be made something, I'm moving away from what Jesus has done. As soon as I build my identity off of something I can get, become, or be praised for, I've lost track of the gospel. And in our culture, there's a whole lot of that. I, I'm so tired of seeing pastors who want to be so-called activists, and then you got other Christians who want to be politicians, but they do that wrong. And, and, and because it's like we live in a culture that has an appetite for self-exaltation. And the danger is you can't have you and Jesus on the throne at the same time. He won't let you sit on his lap. So he says we, we are the circumcision, number one. Number two, he says, we who worship by the Spirit of God... Now watch the words here. To the Judaizer, this was something that would upset them because when he says worship, he's using the word that Jews believed about themselves, that they were the only ones qualified to worship the true and living God, that only they could worship Yahweh. And so to write people in Philippi and say we worship by the Spirit of God is to say we offer qualified service to God that the Jews used to be able to give, but now anyone in Jesus can in other words, the work of Jesus is not just to give you his righteousness, it's to make you over from a dog into a worshiper. Because I, as far as I know, we all Gentiles in here, right? There might be some Jews somewhere, I don't know. But if you're a Gentile, they saw you as a dog, meaning you're a non-Jew, you're a Gentile. And so what Paul is using, he's directly and intentionally picking the word worship here in the Greek to say, we worship by the Spirit of God. We have been made qualified to serve God, not just on Sunday in our job, in our marriage, in our school, on our team, in the gym. Whatever we're doing is something that is spiritual because we are all the priesthood of believers. 
The question is not do you believe that period, but do you believe it about yourself? Because you can't say, I believe Jesus, but I don't believe what he says about me. We need to look into the mirror of God's word and say, God, what do you say about me? Who am I according to Christ? And he says, you are the one by my spirit who offers me sacrificial worship in everything you do. And he says, we glory in Christ Jesus. I especially like that um, when he says we have no confidence in the flesh. He's, he's using a word to describe um, in a sense of what, what causes us to hold our head high is Jesus. He's talking about what we boast in. He's saying the reason that we are emotionally stable in the world is because of our boast in Jesus Christ. I want to let you know, no matter what the world has done to attack your identity, no matter what you've gone through, when you center your heart on Jesus and begin to worship and just think on who he is, that's why you need the Bible to do it. You rejoice in the work of Christ because you know that you are the work of Christ. You are, we are his workmanship. Let me say that again. You are God's masterpiece. Don't be discouraged because he's not done with you yet. You've got issues. Those issues were purposed by God to be there. Listen, either God is sovereign or he's not. Either God knows your sin, and listen, he didn't cause it, but he saw it, and he said, I'm going to allow that because I'm going to use that to sanctify you somehow. So while you're beating yourself up, let David Hill used to say, for every one look you take at yourself, take nine looks at Jesus so you can round it off at ten, rather than nine looks at you and one look at Jesus. That's why you're going through some stuff, because you need to see every issue in your life right now was appointed by God. He planned it. He appointed it. He said, this is going to come to pass for your good and my glory. Great place for amen. amen. We'll get it by the end. And so we put our faith in him and we look inward at who he has made us. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. When God gives us his righteousness, he says we have become the righteous. Let me try to illustrate that a little bit. When I was a little kid, about five or six, my mother and I were staying in the Salvation Army in Philadelphia. And there's a, a large Salvation Army right on Broad Street. That's where we were staying. And back then, this was in the 80s, they would have everyone in a stadium or like a um, basketball gym like this size. They would bring carts out, and it would be male, female, children, everybody in the same room. And I had, uh, they said, I don't know if you remember, they had Patrick Ewing sneakers. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Clearly not, because you're looking at me funny. Um, and at night, you would get on your cot, and you would put your sneakers under your cot. And, and so I go to bed, and they would just cut the lights off, and it's really awkward. So I'm five, and I'm laying there, looking at the ceiling, just like this. And it's very dim, and I'm freaked out because I'm laying on the cot, and I don't know why we live in the Salvation Army. And I remember waking up the next morning, and my sneakers were gone. And someone had stolen them. And they take us over to this case manager's office and this social worker's office, and I'm walking through the building with no shoes. And I'm embarrassed. And I feel awkward. And I want to have a home. And I want to sleep in a real bed. And I'm tired of being here. And I'm frustrated and really embarrassed and really scared. Who still sneakers? And there was a social worker there. And I don't know if she was white, Hispanic, something. She sent someone to go get me some shoes. And I remember going to her office. She got me the right size and everything. And I put them on. And let me tell you, in that moment, do you think I cared whether she was white whether she was Hispanic, whether she was liberal, whether she was conservative, all I knew is that she provided the very thing that would cover up my shame. Listen, 
That is exactly how God is. The righteousness of God is not a thing you need that you add to all the other things. It's the one thing you've been looking for all your life. It's the one thing you realize, I didn't even want it, but when he gave it to me, I realized that's the thing I've been trying to get. I've been putting on all these fig leaves for all this time, trying to make myself better with money, trying to look better, trying to look younger, trying to get skinnier, can't get that right, trying to do all this stuff. And all along, all I wanted was Jesus to make me right with God. From the Garden of Eden, we've been trying to sew together fig leaves. And finally, God says, you don't have to do that because there's a lamb that's been offered for you. He's going to make you right. I want to let you know today, if you have Jesus' righteousness, you need to confess to yourself every day. That's enough. That's absolutely enough. How do you feel about being made righteous? Let me tell you, if you're rejoicing in the work of Jesus Christ, let me tell you what will happen. Number one, you will rejoice when other people rejoice in Jesus Christ. It means you will be a soul-winning Christian because you won't care about whether they say yes or no. You just want to tell somebody about Christ because you know nothing changes until people come to Christ, until they know him. You'll have a burden for it. Listen, I, I am in a situation, and you may or may not understand this. In the last two or three years, I've gone through so much within the church because of my race. And I've had people tell me I'm not black enough. I've been an Uncle Tom. I had somebody inbox me and tell me that I lost my black card. I have no idea how you lose your black Because I'm still black. <laughs> and in the summer, I get even blacker. So how is it? I've lost my black card because I've challenged other Christians and leaders that if we're going to be Christian, right? Yes, I'm black and I can't change that. But Jesus comes first and he is the one who gives me permission for how I pursue my blackness. I never have permission to put someone else down no matter what their ancestors did just because I'm black. That doesn't put me in a driving position to tell you how you should do culture and how you should do church. We've got to get to a place, people come inside the church, we start dismissing all the isms and the stuff of the world and say, I just want you to be a brother or sister in Christ. we got to stop putting people in this weird scenario where we have these fake conversations where I either want you to make me feel good about myself or make you feel bad about yourself because it's so false. Listen, to deal with race is going to be messy. And you're going to need to be free to say, brother, I don't understand. And I'm going to need to be able to say, I don't get this either. And we're going to need to be able to come together by God's grace and be messy together. Until you have that, you, you don't have Christianity. You've got slavery based on race. You've got identity politics in the church. And so now I want to make you feel good or bad based on your skin color and your ethnicity. That is the religion of dogs. And I've had people tell me, I'm an Uncle Tom. And I'm like, listen, here's what's crazy. You, you grew up in a two-parent home in the suburbs. Like, I know you're black, right? But you got all this academic education. You've never been in the hood. I've been shot at twice. And you're trying to tell me I'm not black because I don't like how you talk about Jesus and race. This is crazy. Listen, in this election year, refuse to be identified based on your affiliation. That's why elections are going so crazy right now. Listen, the public political debate is a public worship debate. Because if I love Jesus centrally, listen, whoever's going to win, Jesus said okay to. And so therefore, I'm not going to give you a hard time and call you an idiot or call you some other names. I might think to myself that you're thinking like an idiot, but I'm not going to think of you as an idiot. Somebody say amen. amen. 
because we've got to pursue Christ-likeness, not Trump-likeness, not Warren-likeness, or the other guy feel the burn. Like, you can't pursue that in place of Jesus. That's the religion of dogs. When Jesus brings you in, listen, here's what we all have in common. I was a sinner on the way to hell just like you. Jesus came, loved me, clothed me, gave me a hug, and now I got to give you one. And we don't have to agree on everything, but we should be able to sit down like reasonable people and say, listen, I disagree, but who cares? Jesus is still king. We've got to get to the place where our churches look like a portrait of grace. Resist the temptation to separate from people based on anything but the gospel. But when they do depart from the gospel, you need to get your relationships right. You need to get your friendships right. Listen, I even tell people in my context, you might not be the one saying racist stuff to people. I'm talking about, I'm saying this to other black people. When I say my context, I'm talking about black people. You might not be the one saying racist stuff, but is it okay to say that stuff around you? Do you laugh at it? Is your Facebook full of it? See, it's not just, well, you know, it's me and Jesus, so I don't say that stuff. But you're endorsing it by sitting with it. You're, you're endorsing it by being quiet. You're endorsing it by laughing at it. And, and so here's what happens. The devil is glorified. Because here's all he wants. is to take the picture off of Jesus Christ. As soon as that happens, he wins. They don't have to call his name. He wins because we're distracted on lesser things. Listen, I don't understand all the political debate. I don't want to, you know, we can, we can discuss all this kind of stuff. But how about we talk about some missions? How about we sit down and talk about where we are right now? How about we talk about how we can build a multi-ethnic church that doesn't look like this one or that one? We're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations. It means when we talk about the music, it means I'm going to want some drums. You're going to want some strings. We're going to have to work it out because I want some soul seasoning on it. But you're like, you say, I want to raise my hand. I'm going to say, I want to clap. And we can all bring it together as long as there's order. And I care so we're not falling out and doing all kind of other stuff. I don't know what y'all do, but I'm not doing all that. But now what's going to happen is we're going to grow. And so now I need to have conversations and relationships with people who are not like me. I need to bring some people over. I need to, when I'm going sporting plays, I need to call Pastor Eric. Where did Dalton go? I was trying to make him convicted. Okay, that didn't work because I think he left. But that's what we need to do. <laughs> he, he, oh, there he is. Okay, okay. All right. I just wanted to say it. I follow him on Instagram, I think. So I'm just trying to get myself a friend. I don't know if that's working. <laughs> and so let me move on to, to the next point. And next, first we see that to rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in the creative work of Christ. To what? To make us new. But next, we have to rejoice in the worth of Christ. The worth of Christ. Verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Watch the terms that Paul uses. He's saying here, if we're going to rejoice in the worth of Christ, we have to rejoice in what he has purchased us. What is it? He's given us his righteousness, but it also reconciles us to God. Now, I have a relationship with God on the basis of Christ alone. That means God hears my prayers and every good thing he does and every messed up thing I feel like I shouldn't have that he allows my way is coming there because of the love the Father has for the Son. Here's what's so beautiful. Christ, through his active and his passive obedience, 
He, he lived this actively obedient life all his life, obeying the law. And then on the death, he dies a passive, obedient death. He just gives himself up. Listen, Jesus could have got off the cross anytime he wanted to. He could have killed everybody Dr. Manhattan style and just made them blow up, but he didn't. He stayed there because of love. He loved the Father. The Son now loves us on the basis of the Son. Here's what's so great about that. You don't do anything to earn it. All you can ever do is receive it. Our problem is we receive it to get saved, but we don't receive it to live. And so what gets flicked and twisted and, and messed up in the process is we miss out. We get verse 1 to 3, but we miss out on what's happening in verse 7. Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. The word count it is used over and over. It is an accounting term. He says, when I look at my assets and my liabilities, as soon as I saw Jesus, all of my assets became liability. Here's why. Because outside of Jesus Christ, everything you got for yourself is a curse to you. The relationship you have without Jesus is a weight you can't handle. Trying to parent without Jesus in the center of it is a weight you can't handle. It, it, trying to just be a person in this culture and be an individual with your own mind is a weight you can't handle. You need Christ in the center of it. And Paul says, listen, when I look over everything in my life compared to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ, it was lost. He's saying rubbish. He's saying, you know, bovine. Okay, I figured if I was like West of Philly, you would know what I mean when I say bovine. If I say it in my church, they're like, bohu? No, he's not a guy. All right, just let it go. And so, because remember, in verse 4 to 6, flashback, what is Paul saying that used to be gain? He said he had reason for confidence in the flesh. Paul is saying, when you look at the Judaizers, everything that they ever wanted to be, I already did. He, he says, when he recollects, he says in, in verse 5, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I had a good pedigree. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He's saying, listen, I knew the law backward and forward. I memorized it. I went to Awana every year at the temple. I listened to all the Jewish podcasts. I did all the stuff I was supposed to do. Verse 6, as to zeal, I persecuted the church. Listen, whenever you are outside of Christ, eventually you're going to persecute the church because your flesh is always going to make you hate the truth that exposes you. Every person you know that doesn't know Jesus, watch how they feel when you bring up Jesus Christ. They either run from him or to him when you bring him up. Don't be surprised. That's why you can't be thinking about the results of sharing Jesus Christ. They're going to hate you either way. Now, you don't have to add to it and be a jerk. That's a weird form of Christianity that people do. Like, you don't have to be a creepy Christian to share Jesus with somebody. It's just, well, you're just going to hell anyway. Like, you can't do that. you got to love people, tell them the truth in Christ, and then you move on. But I know too many creepy Christians. But Paul was basically saying, I got an A on my transcript and everything that Judaizers are still getting a B in. And when I look at Jesus, all of it is a loss. When you rejoice in the worth of Christ, you rejoice in being reconciled to God. You have a status. You are a status symbol from heaven. You have access in a, in a relationship that should bring joy. Let me read a quote from John Piper. He said, the mark of the reconciled believer is joy in God, not just being reconciled with God. God is the gospel in the end, the highest, best good to which all the others are leading, without which all the others would not be good. Any good in your life is good because of Jesus. So to rejoice in his worth is to, is to see everything's value based on Jesus. God has given us amazing things. He's given us the ingenuity to have an iPad. He's, he's, he's given us 
clothing and indoor structures and learning how to build things and architecture, all gifts from God that when you understand they come from God are worth celebrating God for. Amen? God is glorified by all the ingenuity of humanity. I celebrate business. I celebrate capitalism. I'm a capitalist pig. I, I own the business. Like, I, I like being able to create and to serve people with a product or a service. It makes me feel great. And now that I'm working in IT, I really enjoy it because I build bridges between people and products. I like being able to teach nurses how to use a, a keyboard and a mouse, and, and especially physicians, because they really don't know how. And this is a great thing that I can do in my life. If anybody works in the hospital, they know what I'm talking about. And, and, and so we rejoice in that because it came from God. Listen, I want to tell you, when you read about Paul saying that he knows Christ and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he's not just talking about a stagnant, boring relationship where he knows about God or he just knows somebody in passing. He's saying to be joined to Jesus in this relationship, in this gnosko, this, this, this deep knowledge is, is experiential, but it's also holy. You can't know God in this way and be bored with God at the same time. That's the devil telling you that. To be joined to Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who put the stars where they are, the sun the way it is, the moon the way it is, and the earth, well, if you're a flat earther, whatever, but the earth is the way it is because of God. You know, I don't, I don't have that debate. If you want to say that, I'm not going to Facebook friend you, but go ahead. But the fact of the matter is, whether it's a globe or a flat earth, God made it and sustains it. The Bible says by the power of his word. So if I know a God who sustains everything just by a word, I can never be bored with that. Here's how you get bored, when you know him but don't know his word, because life is in his word, and so we've got to go deeper in word to know God. The problem is sometimes we idolize the word and not Jesus, and you can go to the Bible in such a way where you find stuff and rules, and you puff yourself up by what you memorize, and you never got Jesus. Let me tell you a story about that. About 12 years ago, I was sitting on the counselor's couch. I was going through the worst storm of my life. Um, I had lost about 80 pounds in maybe four or five months just when he, life was just falling apart. The idol that I had built for myself had forsaken me and was leaving me, and I was broken. And I was saying all the time, God, I just want to die. And I'm sitting with this counselor, great Christian godly man. He says, what have you been up to? And if you suffer like me, you're going to recognize it. I said, I went and bought a lot of books. I've got books on prayer, spiritual warfare how to make relationships work. Like, I got all the books, and I'm going to go to some conferences, and I'm going to learn how to fix this. Like, I'm going to make it work. And he was like, how do you feel? And I was like, I'm tired. He was like, how do you feel about God? I said, I'm frustrated. He said, do you feel love? I said, no. He said, so what's your plan? I just told you, I'm going to get the books. I'm going to read the books. I'm going to pray more. I'm praying a lot in the morning. Here, here's what changed my life. He said, what would you do today if you knew God loved you totally, and have worked out whatever it was that he absolutely had. I'd probably go rent a movie and have a pizza. He said to me, if you're going to trust God and live by the you need to go have a pizza. One of the problems in the church is that we've learned to read the Bible by flesh and can't eat pizza by pizza. Let me ask you, we all got stuff waiting for us tomorrow morning. Some of us got stuff waiting for us as soon as we leave here. What would your afternoon look like today if you knew Jesus was interceding for you already and had worked it out? What would it look like for you to rest in him so comprehensively that it just looked like nothing is bothering you? Whatever that is, if it doesn't violate God's word, you probably should. 
you got to learn to eat pizza to the glory of God. I'm on a keto diet. So I'm not doing pizza now. But, but you, you know, I'll get some cauliflower crust. But we read the Bible by flesh because we say, God, here's what I want. Listen, when you suffer, I'm not judging anybody. When you suffer, you will turn into a prosperity theologian. You will be tempted. Your soul will tell you either God is not for you, or you're like, God's for me. He's going to work this out. God is going to fix it because I'm at church on time. I give. I'll even give a little bit extra. And when tax time comes, I give some more on top of that. Like, God is going to work it out. I know he's going to work it out. And even if you don't tell people, you tell yourself, he's going to work it out. He's gonna, and the more it stops looking like he's going to work it out, you start to lose hope because you didn't have faith to begin with. And that kind of faith turns into frustration because God did not promise to the suffering, as we're going to see in the next point, what we see is that God promises to be the value within the suffering. He promises to sustain you because he loves you. He cares for you. We've got to learn. Listen, here's, what, here's a personal belief I have. You, you tell me what you think of it when we talk after. I think most Christians in our culture are suffering because we forgot how to have Sabbath. Think about this. It's in the law. We, we think... I went to church on Sunday morning. Sunday is mine, right? You go home, you have the after-church nap, which is the greatest nap ever. But then you get back on your phone, you check email, and you do all this stuff. And the reason you're irked and tired and think you can't go to church Sunday morning is because you don't know how to Sabbath. In my house, as a rule, 7 p.m. Saturday night begins happening. Everything about the next 24 hours has to be different than the previous 24 hours. I tell my daughter, she's 14, if you want to hang with your friends, cool, bring them over. Let's meet up. You can't just sit on the phone. You can't FaceTime forever. How do you even do that? Like, they don't think you're that cute. They're just talking. You need relationship. You can't have relationship with a phone. You can't have relationship with a job unless you have to work. You've got to learn to change your routine. I bet you, if you feel irked in your spirit and you feel tired all the time, learn what it means for a Christian to Sabbath in the New Testament. I bet you it'll bless you. So now back to the text. I'm trying to learn how to work all this. Um, I don't have a uh, sound person at my church. Whoever's not preaching is the sound guy. So, like, if Pastor Darren's preaching, like, today he has no sound guy. So I can't imagine. Our service sounded bad. That's why we didn't record it. Um, but, but finally, this feels really good, by the way. Thank you, sound people. Um, but going on to verse 10, it says, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Finally, when we see that we rejoice in his worth, we see that we're rejoicing in his worth in the world and in the Bible. But finally, my final point, we rejoice in the witness of Christ, in the witness of Christ. I'm going to hone in because when you look at verse 10 and you see that, that could say so that. Paul has given us the purpose clause. Here's what I am pursuing. Here's why I've left all the resume stuff that I had and all the blessings and all the things that I thought were good and forsake them and pursue Christ. Here's what my life is all about. Think about this and ask yourself, am I a one-thing Christian? Because Paul is saying, when you look at everything I do, how I spend my money, my time, the books I read, everything is devoted to this one thing, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. But wait, here's the challenge. Most of the time we think of God giving us power so we could jump hurdles over the suffering rather than go through the suffering. And what he says here is that the power exists for the suffering. Read it again because your flesh made you all miss it. Verse 10, he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, 
Paul is saying, I want the power to suffer well. Listen, if you are suffering right now, no matter what you're going through, it could be your marriage, your flesh, it could just be that you're depressed in this season and you go through it when the fall comes because of whatever reason, God has power for you to suffer well. Go through the troubles of the marriage. Suffer well. Go through drama in your ministry and disagreements and all that, but suffer well. Go through aching in your body and wondering why you're dealing with arthritis and hypertension and, and diabetes, but suffer well. Don't let it go to waste. Your suffering is the black velvet that the diamond of God's grace is going to sit on. And God wants it to be public. God wants to draw people around who look at you peculiarly, mess that word up, with a peculiar look, wondering how is it you have that strength. That's what brings people closer to Christ. It's not the car. It's not the money. It's not the job. It's not, we've been married 40 years and I've never had an affair. Yeah, but you look at everybody weird. Like, what God wants to do. I hate when people tell me all this stuff. Like, I've been married. I don't need your counsel. It's weird. Me and my wife fight. Like, we didn't fight on the way here because we were like, this is beautiful. But next week, we're back to fighting again on the way to church. We're just going to fight fair. We're going to fight. We're going to disagree on some stuff, right? That's what it's like when you're church planning. And you got a bunch of kids in the car, and they're ungrateful, and they complain. I'm trying to have a lot of kids so I can build this church. If people aren't going to come, we're going to get some members some kind of way. We're going to adopt, and we're going to keep them coming. So I just tell her, come on, sister, let's get home from the hospital and see you in nine months. And so, but, but we're going to grow this church because God has power. This is what I tell my people. You've got to tell your people, listen, fathers, husbands, you are the worship leader of your house. No matter what's going on, God is giving you the assignment to lead your family faithfully through the valleys and the issues and the stuff. What does that mean? It means you got to get up before everybody. You got to get your time with God. It means you got to be strong enough to lead and to, and, and to cater to, to the needs of the household. Why? Because God wants his power on display. Don't shy away from suffering. My, my young brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to suffer, meaning don't be afraid to voluntarily submit yourself to not having some stuff. There are some jobs you should pass on. There's some missionary endeavors you should take up. There are some things you should do just because it puts Jesus on display. I once heard some great advice for millennials, and I don't know if I have millennials in here or not, but I'm just going to say it. Maybe they'll listen later. How do you choose which way to go in life for your next decision, your next job, relationship, whatever? Choose what makes you walk by faith the most. Choose what you know you need God for. Listen, if you come to a decision and you're like, I got this. I got it figured out. I know what to do. There's a trick in there somewhere. You better run, okay? Now, now don't run from your marriage. If you're already married, you're with them. You're in it. You're in it to win it, man. Because you go tell Pastor Matt, I told you to leave your spouse. That one you stick with. Everybody else you can leave and you can break up, okay? But the marriage, they're with you. And let me tell you what. They're your sanctification. The kids, the spouse, the ministry, they are for you. Because God loves you and he's working in your life. Paul is saying, I want to experience that kind of power. In verse 11, by any means possible that I might attain the resurrection from the dead, God has a will and a goal for your life. And it is that by the time you get to the finish line, listen, you may have a limp. I know the things that I've gone through in life. I have not been okay since then. I've gone through horrible rejection from my idol. I've been broken by life. 2014, I had a great business, wonderful, awesome bonus Christmas time. All my employees were doing good. And by March 2015, I was on food stamps. About to lose my house, 
Can you imagine the shame? I've never been on a food stamps as an adult. And I'm going in acne, and I was shocked when people couldn't see because I didn't want to pull out the card. People see me with the food stamp card. They don't have, like, food stamps anymore. It's a card. Some of y'all don't even know. Um, but the shame and the inability as a man to care for my family. Having a business that I'm running, but I don't have any money, and I'm just trying to sell off stuff and get rid of it. Power is available. This is not a novel power. You need this power. Because any person who doesn't have it is not part of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about celebrations and having fun and being able to say, God brought me through and look what I got. It is to say, I got Jesus in the middle. May God give us the grace to be people who know that we were redeemed to be joyful. To have faith in God is to have joy in Christ. To have faith in God is to be satisfied it's okay to admit I'm not satisfied. It's not okay to be okay with that. Tell the truth. It is okay to not be okay today. It is okay to say, I came to service, I'm going through worship, I feel like I'm on autopilot, I feel nothing happening in my life, but I'm here because I'm still seeking Jesus. That's the testimony God is working with. That was me if you went forward a prayer. Lord, grace is an amazing thing, and you're an amazing God. I pray today for anyone who is suffering or just going through, Lord, and they just feel shut off or shut down. I pray you would give us the grace to open our eyes and our hearts to what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is teaching us to love Christ and to suffer well, Lord. Give us the spirit, Lord, of giving and of generosity when we're not in this place. Give us the spirit to, to go and engage in evangelism and to share our faith, Lord. Help us sometimes to learn to listen to other people that we would make relationships because you've given us community that we would love one another and walk through the valleys with one another. Pray today, Lord, that you would bless us all to look more like you, that we would share in the power of your suffering and of the resurrection. Thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. I bless you. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.